um, children's chapels just that way. Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated unless you're headed to children's chapel. In 1982, Pope John Paul II became the first bishop of Rome in over 500 years to set foot on British soil. For five centuries or so, the visit would have been unthinkable. At the height of the Reformation, the Archbishop of Canterbury was prone to referring to the Pope as the Antichrist. Rome had similar words for the English usurpers. A few centuries later, on a crisp May morning in 1982, Anglican Archbishop Robert Runcie and the Polish-born Pope met outside Canterbury Cathedral. They processed inside for a service of common prayer. There, at the site of Becket's martyrdom, together they led the gathered faithful in a renewal of baptismal vows, those promises we are about to make today. Now, we don't talk about the Pope much in Episcopal churches, so why bring him up today? The action that John Paul II, as my Catholic college friends used to say, JP II, took on that first papal visit to post-Reformation England, it signified a great deal. The Archbishop of Canterbury, titular head of the Anglican Communion, and the Bishop of Rome, representative of the world's largest body of Christian faithful, they stood together and they recalled their baptismal promises. Over and against all of the divisions between these two leaders, divisions of history, nation, culture, language, and the nuances of faith, they stood together. They said, we acknowledge one baptism. We all, all Christians, share in one baptism. We aren't baptized Catholic or Episcopalian, Lutheran or Evangelical, there is one baptism. The movement in which we participate, this Jesus movement, it's bigger than any one church, any one communion, any one denomination. Our baptism doesn't brand us for any human organization or ethnic group. Pope John Paul II and Archbishop Runcie's commitment to baptism as a sign of unity, it was radical. Because so often in human history, we have pretended that we, we were the ones who got to separate the sheep from the goats. So often we want to make the divisions. We want to count who is in and who is out. All of us practice this separation to one degree or another. We all form clubs for the purpose of keeping some people out. So let's be real for a moment. Most of us just survived another Thanksgiving with family. <laughs> Even in our own families, we pretend that we get to decide on sheep and goats. Too often, we hold on to old grudges. Too often, we roll our eyes at the family member who always has to act this way. Too often, we have already decided that this sibling or that uncle is a goat. We like to pretend that we get to distinguish. Baptism reminds us we don't get to choose. A moment ago, I mentioned the Jesus movement, 
It's the name that our presiding bishop in the Episcopal Church uses to describe our church. We are the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement, he likes to say. I find the name fitting for these days. For too long the church felt static, like a building you visited or a club you joined. Movement gives a different sense of Christianity altogether. Movement makes us sound dynamic, helps us to understand that following Jesus means getting up off your duff. This Jesus movement also reminds us of the ancient church. Before Christians were known as Christians, they were called simply the followers of the way. Our faith is about motion. It has direction. We follow a leader. In the gospel today, Jesus makes the direction clear. His movement isn't random. Both the blessed and the condemned in the story are confused. They ask Jesus, when did we visit you, feed you, clothe you? When did we minister to you? Or when did we fail to see you? Jesus says, when you did so to the least of these, to my siblings. Jesus' movement is purposeful. Jesus' movement has a direction. The Jesus' movement is headed out, out toward anyone who has been excluded, anyone who has been abandoned, anyone who is lost or ill, anyone who is in prison, out to those who have been judged. When a human wall goes up to separate, Jesus' direction is always out past the wall to the excluded. Jesus' movement is inclusive breaks down barriers, goes out to those who are lost and least and left out. God is concerned with all of those hungry sheep. The Jesus movement leads us out beyond our comfort zones. And so sometimes the Jesus movement can be downright inconvenient. We pastors can talk big. We preach about the inclusion until we're blue in the face. We can write all our welcome again and again on our signs and bulletins and name tags. But meaning these words, living Jesus' movement to the excluded, it can be inconvenient. I'm going to tell a story on myself. Just Monday, I had a phone call. Since before I got here, Holy Communion has observed St. Louis's local custom on Mondays. This was new to me moving here from Washington. Mondays, the church office is closed. The phones are usually on do not disturb. It used to drive me nuts that nothing around here is open on Mondays. Now I love it. I mostly take Fridays off, so Mondays are often my day in the office when no one else is there. I get a lot done. It's quiet. But this past Monday, I was waiting on an important call. So I was picking up the phone. An unlisted number came up on caller ID, so I picked up. The woman on the other end of the line was a bit confused. She had to start and stop again a few times. Finally, I understood she wanted to ask about the details for our laundry love ministry. The caller must have heard the frustration in my voice as I repeated myself, because she said, I'm not trying to be rude. I had a stroke, and I get confused. 
I waited for her while she went to find a pen and paper. I repeated the name and location and time of our laundry love ministry over and over. Seven, two, zero, zero, Balson, B-A-L-S-O-N. Classic coin laundry, third Tuesday of the month, 6.30 p.m. I told her the details. We provide pizza, conversation, childcare, soap, and quarters. You do your laundry. Again and again, I had to repeat myself. My phone has a little timer on the caller ID screen, and I can see the length of the call. I know we hit the 18-minute mark around the time she was searching for another pen. At one point in the call, I found myself thinking, maybe laundry love was a bad idea. (laughs) This ministry might mean I spend more time talking to people like this woman, people who are disorganized and needy and who take up a lot of my time. I'm supposed to be on an important call. Should we rethink this ministry? Then I heard myself with those thoughts, and I rolled my eyes at myself. Have you ever had a moment like that, where you see what you're doing and just think, oh, self. (laughs) As you do unto the least of these. Jesus' movement can be an inconvenience. Jesus' movement will lead you out among those who are a mess, who are disorganized, who are unable to care for themselves. Jesus' movement always pushes us out beyond the walls of our clubs, our churches, our safe spaces. Jesus' movement has a direction. And today we're initiating Ellis and my niece, Caitlin Elizabeth, Kate, into this movement. We will, as a congregation, in just a few moments, promise to support her in this life of faith. Her godparents and parents will promise to help her to grow into the full stature of Christ. Kate, I love you, and you're doomed. (laughs) We're setting her up for an inconvenient and uncomfortable journey. Out to the lost, out to the least, out to the strayed and the injured and the weak, out to the people who take up too much time and will renew our own promises to resist evil and to follow Jesus. Because out with those we would count as goats, that is where Jesus is to be found. Baptism reminds us that we are caught up in this work together. Before we can make decisions for ourselves, God has chosen to love us. We don't do anything to merit God's love. We can't merit God's love. God loves all the wrong people. We don't get to choose who God loves, but we can come along for the ride. God's love has a direction in which we can participate. On that crisp May morning in 1982, when the Pope and the Archbishop renewed their own baptismal promises, their prayers mattered. Standing together, Protestant and Catholic mattered. Britain was in the midst of a petty little war with Argentina, a Catholic country, over the Falkland Islands. 
In Northern Ireland, Catholics and Anglicans were actively killing one another. In his homily, the Pope talked about the importance of renewing our baptismal vows and seeing beyond the walls of the churches and movements that we humans have constructed, seeing the wider movement of Jesus. Here are Pope JP2 words. Christ's promise gives us confidence in the power of this same Holy Spirit to heal the divisions introduced into the church in the course of the centuries since that first Pentecost day. In this way, the renewal of our baptismal vows will become a pledge to do all in our power to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, who alone can lead us to the day when we will profess the fullness of our faith together. Baptism is not a mark for insiders. Baptism is bigger than the walls of this church. The Jesus movement is bigger than any one denomination. Without our sisters and brothers, siblings from other walks of life, we are not whole. Baptism is incorporation into the least exclusive body in human history. Baptism brings us into a movement, initiates us for following Jesus out beyond our comfort zones to the lost, the strayed, the least, the ill, and the left out. If you take it seriously, baptism will inconvenience the hell out of you. Amen. Amen.